Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, Christina Perry. At the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com. This is Sunday Skate with Scott McLaughlin and Andrew Razor Raycroft. Brought to you by Shaw's and Star Market. Perfecting the art of fresh on WEEI. Good to get it around forward. Now Bertuzzi. Nephew of the longtime NHL player Tom Bertuzzi. He centers one for Coyle. And he scores. Charlie Coyle with the first goal of the afternoon for Boston. Welcome into Sunday Skate. A busy week for the Bruins, who made another trade for Tyler Bertuzzi. Got some injury updates on Taylor Hall and Nick Felino, who are going to miss some time. Signed David Posenok to an eight-year extension. And then beat the Rangers on Saturday, 4-2, to in a potential Eastern Conference Finals preview. At least that's how it was billed. We'll get into how we see the Eastern Conference actually stacking up. Here with Andrew Raycroft, I'm Scott McLaughlin, Bridget Prue behind the glass. You can join us on any of those topics or anything else, 617-779-7937. Text us at 37937. Razor, what has been your biggest takeaway from these last few days? Just how all in this team is, just how everything seems to be working out for this group uh the and and of and of course most importantly the excitement around all of this the the now that the deadline deals over now that you have a look at the roster now that you have David Pasternak signed all of the 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 outside questions the outside thoughts of this team and what's going to happen are all taken care of and, and now it's a mad 20 game dash to the end of the se- regular season where you have to expect they're going to be real close to history at the end of it, and and you're going to see a lot of guys sitting out the next 20 games, and then the game one playoffs. I, I just can't stop getting the first round of the Eastern Conference Stanley Cup playoffs out of my mind and, and what those first few days are going to be like and, and how electric it's going to be. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, especially, you know, you look at the Bruins are going to be the – the one seed, they're going to get one of those wild card teams, but those two, three matchups are going to be incredible in both divisions. For the Bruins, you know, yeah, they're going to rest some guys. They're going to make sure they're healthy. Uh, it's all about, you know, that was kind of the the theme yesterday. Jim Montgomery was asked, a couple of Bruins were asked, you know, how do you, over the last couple of days, how do you kind of approach these last 20 games now where it's not so much about the standings, about the points, but it's about, you know, what is the focus? And it's building their game. It's getting incrementally better. It's making sure their game's in a good spot because you don't want to be in a position where you're just trying to flip that switch for game one of the playoffs where, you know, you've kind of cruised in, you've let some things slip. So to that point, 
they have a big test yesterday at the Garden against the New York Rangers, who went out and loaded up with Vladimir Tarasenko and Patrick Kane are as offensively explosive as any team in the NHL. Maybe some questions defensively, especially yesterday where Ryan Lindgren's injured, Keandre Miller suspended. That's their top two left-side defensemen, uh, which, by the way, ironic that we mentioned Garnet Hathaway last week, his suspension for spitting, and uh, Keandre Miller gets suspended for spitting this past week on a, a weird incident that actually seemed to maybe be legitimately unintentional. Nope. No, no. That no, was intentional. You don't buy that? Oh, no, okay. no, 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 no. Not buying that one at all, <laughs> but keep going. <laughs> he he tried to spin it, and, uh, and he yes. did apologize to Drew Daly. He did but, it. Um, but, yeah, so Bruins get a test, and they pass it. You know, they weren't playing their best for the first two periods, really, but they get up to nothing, and then the third period they shut the door, and they really – Outplayed the Rangers in, the, in that third period. Lena Selmark, very good again. And we got our first look at Tyler Bertuzzi as a Bruin, and he makes an almost immediate impact, setting up the first goal with, you know, a nice high dumping for Trent Frederick to track down, and then a great pass from behind the net to set up Charlie Coyle. And I thought Bertuzzi, you know, was involved in a couple of chances. He nearly set up, or he did set up David Krejci for an open net. Puck just kind of rolled off his stick. But uh, you can see what he can bring to this team and why, you know, it was probably necessary to go get him. If, you know, Taylor Hall, it sounds like is going to be out at least the rest of the regular season, potentially longer, you know, you, you kind of needed another top nine forward. And he is definitely that they did. And, and, and they went and they got it and they took care of it right away. And I think that that has to be what Don Sweeney has done so well in the last two weeks is that he recognized the need? He went out and just took care of it. He didn't. He didn't mess around. He didn't look at four or five. He went. Okay, we need. We've got two injuries to two left wingers. All right, let's go get Bertuzzi. It's done. He's the best guy on the board. And whatever it takes, we're going to get him. And we know he'll fit in. The, the Bertuzzi's a kid who is hard to play against. He gets the game. He's been around the game his whole life. He's from Northern Canada. He's been a winner in the minors. He's been a winner in the OHL. Uh, the kid gets it. He's a great teammate. And, and I got more texts on that trade than I did on the Orlov trade, which is uh, incredible and, and one that we knew was going to work really well. Uh, but the Bertuzzi one, it, perfect fit. Can't believe they got him. Thought he was going to Tampa, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think we saw that just in the 60 minutes that he's played, how he can move up and down the lineup. He can make the players on his line better, and it's a it's a great pickup. and And i I say all of that with the caveat that I don't want to downplay the injuries to Felino and Hall, and I don't want to overlook it because I think it's important to this team, and it's certainly important to those two players personally that they put a lot into this season, and they're very invested in this group, very invested in what this team does, and and i i I do try not to gloss over the fact that they're out of the lineup and not going to finish the rest of the season and, and by in, by all accounts, maybe not start the playoffs, uh, or at least one of them. So that that hurts those guys, and, and I don't want to leave those guys left in the dust because they're going to be important pieces to win 16 games in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Yeah, and I know, you know when that, that injury news first comes out and you see Hall go to long-term IR... A lot of people had the reaction that, oh, they're doing what the Lightning did with Kucherov. They're going to be ready game one. Like, it's fine. 
And it's possible it plays out that way, but I don't think the Bruins know that at all. Like, I think it seems like there is legitimate question about exactly when those guys are going to be ready. They're, you know, they're hoping, obviously, that they're not done for the entire season. I think there's still, you know, at least a, a hope that they'll be back at some point in the playoffs as long as this team, you know, makes it far enough. Um, but, you know, there's there's a photo on Twitter. Nick Foligno has some sort of cast brace thing on his legs. So, you know, that's always tells you that there's something pretty serious there. Um, you know, there was a report from Frank Saravalli that the optimistic side is maybe four weeks for Hall. I would say that would definitely be like best case scenario compared to the alternative of missing a significant chunk of the playoffs. But yeah, it's Don Sweeney wasn't taking any chances. He wasn't going to just, all right, well, let's just hope those guys come back, you know, at least one of them and we'll plug them in on the third line. Nope. It was, we're going out, we're getting a bona fide top nine forward in Tyler Bertuzzi. And yeah, he, he got some time on the second line yesterday too. They dropped him down to the fourth line at times. Uh, you know, just, no, known as an agitator, like a little Marshand esque, but definitely has a lot of skill and really seems to, you know, think the game at a at a high level. And you saw that on some of the setups that he made. He scored thirty goals last year yeah. in the NHL, and and yes, he's only got four this season. He has two broken hands that you're fighting through. Never got into a rhythm in Detroit, and this is a, a fresh start where you say if he stays healthy, he's going to put five, six in the net here in over the next month. And, and he has that, he has that ability as a forward to get that huge game seven goal, get that huge game five overtime goal on the road. Uh, That's what he has this ability to do in the lineup. And, uh, and it just fits another slot that the Bruins, uh, it maybe not needed, but certainly could could use and could want. They filled it perfectly with with all three players that they picked up. Yeah, and Jim Montgomery said after the game because that Bertuzzi Coil Frederick line looked good, and that seems like a really natural spot for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim Montgomery did say after the game that he's going to tinker, he's going to move him around, try him with different guys, just like he's been doing with Orlov and. You know, by the way, Orlov, another great game, uh, another assist, helps shut down some of the Rangers' stars at 5-on-5, five five. looks great playing next to Charlie McAvoy, but, you know, Montgomery's been moving him around, uh, you know, still going that D rotation. Grizzlick was the latest one to get shuffled out yesterday. Uh, at some point, though, do you think they're going to settle or they're going to give, you know, whether it's Orlov or Bertuzzi, a longer run in one spot to try to get them comfortable, or is there still, you know, enough enough time here to to play around? I don't think we're going to see it for a little while. I think we start seeing the bigger names starting to sit out um, with the three and fours and the the back to backs on the weekend. I got to imagine you're going to see the the Orlov, the Lindholm, McAvoy start rotating out on those weekend games. Uh, the Bergerons, the Krejci's, Montgomery alluded to it, Patrice alluded to it, that they're talking after this four-day break to start looking at that load management and try and take some miles off the guys on the plane, more importantly than anything else, getting the proper sleep, not missing out on that. So we're going to see a lot of tinkering, I I believe. I think they have a pretty good idea of where everyone slots. And I also think because this team 
has so many options already, let alone what they tinker with here, that it's going to be completely up to the matchup and who they play in the first round, which they're not going to know until the last day of the season by the looks of the standings down in the wild card or very close to it. So I think it'll be matchup based in the playoffs because they have so many options. But we're, you know, you're going to have a lot of rotation, a lot of different different pieces moving through the lineups. My biggest thought at watching Orlov and, and imagine that you could have McAvoy, Lindholm, and Orlov be on the ice every single minute of your Stanley Cup playoff run. If you wanted to set it up that way, you could have one of those guys on the ice every single second of the playoffs. And what a luxury that is. And and very, I don't know. I don't want to jinx it, but I just don't know how this team loses four games in 12 days with those three guys being healthy the whole time on the ice all the time. It's so daunting and and it can happen. It's just going to be really difficult for them to, to, to have that option, to have that ability to have those guys on the ice all the time and, and not find a way to win four or seven. Yeah. It feels like in some ways that Orlov trade, like almost initially got underrated in terms of like how much of an impact you know, everyone's like, okay, now they have seven defensemen. It's like, well, yes, but now they have three top pairing defensemen, most importantly. <laughs> uh, like, legitimate top pairing. Not like they can handle 20 minutes if you give it to them. Like, these are top guys. And, yeah, no no one else really had Like, Tampa had it when they had, you know, Hedman, McDonough, Sergachev is maybe the third. Yep. But McDonough's gone there now, so it's – it is pretty much unprecedented when you look across the league. Um, Razor, do you have any feel, you know, any lean as far as uh, how you think this defense might shake out if everyone's healthy, which we know is obviously a big if? Uh, I don't have a lean. Obviously, we know the three guys. We know the first three guys. And then from there, I do think that it will. You play a big, heavy team. There's going to be one way there you play a, you're going to look at, they can like, they can dial this all the way into, all right, what's at home and away is going to be a different issue. I think, I think you're going to see different guys swapping in and out home away up to one in a series down to one. Like they're going to go very granule with this rotation and with the thought process into this defense, because everybody, the, the, the four guys that have been rotating out, do things all a little bit differently but they're all very, very good at what they do differently. So you can, you're not hiding anybody. You're basically just putting the best strength of those four players out onto the ice against what team you're against. So I, I think there was a rotation, and then you see the Bruins play the Rangers, and that rotation switches a little bit. Grizzly comes out rather than what should have been Clifton if you go off the rotation. So somewhere there was an idea, there was a thought that why they wanted Clifton in. I don't think we really heard what that was. I don't think they're going to give that away, but I do think there's going to be a lot of thought put in, and I, I, just, I don't see it being, all right, we're going to go with six guys game one of the Stanley Cup playoffs and roll those six guys until there's an injury. It's going to be a lot of in and out and, and who feels like the best matchup and what situation home, road, up in the series, down in the series fits best. Yeah, and I was leaning towards maybe, you know, things trending towards Grizzly being the odd man out. And you could say, you know, him getting the second time through uh, sitting might add to that because he had kind of racked together a string of like 14, 15-minute games where his minutes were a little down, which can sometimes be telling. 
But then against, uh, but then on Thursday against Buffalo, he played 19 minutes and looked really good. So mm-hmm. uh, plenty to discuss. Uh, we see already a couple of calls that we're going to get to. You can join us, 617-779-7937. Text in 37937. We'll be right back after this. The Rich Keefe Show, weeknights starting at 6. Now, here's what's trending on WEEI. Trending now on WEI and WEI.com. The Bruins continued their win streak at home at the Garden yesterday with a win over the New York Rangers. It was the first time the teams faced off with their new look rosters after the trade deadline. Patrick Kane donned a Rangers jersey in Boston for the first time, and Tyler Bertuzzi played his first game as a Bruin, assisting on the first goal of the game. Coyle, Nosek, Bergeron, and Pasternak added the goals for the Bruins in their 4-2 win. The win was the Bruins' 10th in a row. Up next for Boston, the Bees. Get a much-needed four-day break before they play Connor McDavid and the Oilers at home on Thursday night at 7.30. Tonight at 7.30, the Celtics tip off against the Knicks at the Garden. The Seas are hoping to bounce back from an upset loss to the Brooklyn Nets in which Mikhail Bridges scored 38 points to help the Nets overcome a 28-point deficit and stun the Boston Celtics 115-105 to on Friday night. And up next, following our show Sunday Skate, Two hours of Hart and Don Darrow before we send it out to Fort Myers where Joe Castiglione and Rob Bradford have the call on the Red Sox radio network. Red Sox spring trading 1 p.m. first pitch against the Marlins here on the Shaws and Star Market Red Sox radio network. This trending is brought to you by Unified Office. If you run a business, you know how rough the impact of labor shortage can have on your customer's phone experience. Unified Office specializes in keeping business and not losing customers over calls and revenue. Learn more at unifiedoffice.com. I'm Bridget Pru, and that's what's trending now on WEI and WEI.com. You're listening to Sunday Skate on WEEI. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, they've obviously showing that they have a ton of faith and um, you know they kind of have that all-in approach with the moves that they've made um, with how they want to improve the group and uh, the depth they've added so um, it does you know fall within the group here now to they did their job we have to do ours now and um, you know, time will tell. That was Brad Marchand talking about the Bruins all-in moves uh, that was from Thursday, right after the Tyler Bertuzzi trade. Uh, we have Maria in Watertown wants to touch on one of the few negatives from uh, these last couple of weeks for the Bruins. Maria, what do you got? Um, just quickly, on, on the injury front, would any of us be surprised if these two players came back before the end of the season or for the playoffs, given the history of the training staff this season and the commitment by these players to get back on the ice and on the power play, you know, for a team that's just like rolling in every facet of the game, how is this power play so questionable and honestly a little bit, um, a little bit concerning given the personnel that they have out on the ice. So those are my only kind of um, concerns that, that, that does concern me because you can put a team away in the playoffs with your special teams unit. So, um, hopefully they can get that addressed sooner rather than later. And Razor, your assessment of Justin St. Pierre in the Morning Brew podcast, absolutely spot on. <laughs> Thank you, Maria. Yeah, it doesn't, I mean, I'm not going to take too much credit for that. Justin's not uh, not ideal out on the ice, but, uh, and he wasn't when I played. That's That was one of the guys that always aggravated me out on the ice. But um, Well, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, I've been checking the scouting, the refs, 
Oh, and yeah. um, I haven't seen his name pop up since that game in terms of other game assignments. So maybe there was a little bit of accountability because that was just so blatantly bad that he didn't call a penalty with that hit on Marchand. And I suspect that he looked at who it was and decided to look the other way, which is Bush League, in my opinion. So those are just my thoughts today. Thanks for the time, gentlemen. Thanks, Maria. Yeah, so on the power play, Bruins are now five for the last 49 going back over the last 15 games, so around 10%, which obviously is not good. Uh, Jim Montgomery did say after the game that he's just about at the point that he might make some tweaks in terms of personnel. Uh, So I wonder, does that potentially mean someone like Dmitry Orlov gets gets a look on the top unit? Uh, Razor, what what do you think as far as what's going wrong in the power play and what can they do to fix it? Well... They weren't good at the end. Remember, they went through this at this time last season as well. The, this, the same thing happened more probably March last year where they went real cold, and it was a question mark going into the playoffs whether these guys were going to be able to score on the power play. Fortunately, they did, especially at home, to keep the series close. But it, it's it's a struggle right now, and I think the one, the one positive – is that we know there is going to be some load management. We know some of the bigger guys are going to be taking nights off, and that gives the coaching staff an opportunity to tinker with the power play without hurting anybody's feelings, without causing a controversy, without putting somebody in a position where they have to answer questions about it after the game. I think what we've seen the last few weeks, and especially since Orlov back, is that that shooting power play of the second unit that's taken 40 seconds, 45 seconds, where you have Lindholm, Krejci, and Orlov across the top is a pretty good recipe. And to have that shooting ability, I think what we've seen on the the first unit, especially four on three, the other night against Buffalo with four on three, if you watch that again, the first unit goes out and they basically leave DeBrusque and Bergeron wide open over on the right side. And they have a guy on Lindholm or, or a guy on McAvoy and a guy on Pasternak. And then they play two-on-one on the other side. And if DeBrusque wants to take a wrister from the top of the circles, they're perfectly okay with that. You need another shooting option on that first unit, I think. And, and that, that opens things up a little bit more. I know they like to have the pass to Pasternak coming from a righty. Could you use a lefty up top? Um, it I think they'll tinker with it. I think they'll be able to do it without hurting anyone's feelings. But my, I think they need more of a shooting mentality. I think they might need another shot like an Orlov over on that right side to kind of keep the PKs of the other teams honest a little bit more rather than just overloading over on the right side. Yeah, exactly. We've, and we've seen Orlov do that both on the second unit and on five on five, use his shot and, and have it be a weapon. Now, look, it's not like he was a huge goal scorer in Washington, but they also didn't really use him on the power play there. So I would like to see that look at some point, even it, whether it's on the elbow. I don't know what that does to Martian. You know how you rotate guys. If I don't think Martian's getting cycled off the top unit, but maybe that, you know, if, if he's resting a game, obviously that would open it up. Yeah. But even Orlov at center point, because I do feel like, you know, McAvoy for as well as he sees the game and his, you know, him and Pasong do have a good connection on that pass over for the Pasenak one-timer. But I do think McAvoy sometimes isn't enough of a threat himself when the puck's on it on his stick and he's the one who has a shooting lane. Uh, you know, sometimes it feels like it's 
more a shot to look for a rebound than to actually score. And Orlov, I think, could bring that, uh, you know, that threat of actually scoring if he gets the chance to to take a couple steps into the high slot. It, it, yes, I I agree with that. At, uh, and the good news is they can figure it out. The good news is they have a ton of good players. But the but it is it is concerning because you know you need that one power play goal on the road in the in each series that that changes the balance that changes the momentum and just as importantly doesn't give the other team momentum by not scoring or by being able to play a little bit more physical because you can afford to kill a penalty or two off that's a big mental i i was in vancouver in 2010 and we played the los angeles kings in the first round drew dowdy was a rookie all kopitar all young guys first time in the playoffs and they scored every single time we took a penalty. And by game three, it started to get in the heads. Like, it starts to get in your heads, and it starts to, as soon as the ref calls a power a penalty against you, the letdown is there, and you're just expecting and waiting, and it takes you three, four shifts after that, even if you kill it, to get back to your game. And I, it can go the other way, where, where that power play lets you down, a team can feel like they can really be aggressive and really not be threatened by it. It makes a difference in a seven game series. So that 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 the mentality and, and the ability to to pose your will on, on teams and playoffs comes from power plays as well. Yeah, and I guess the silver lining if you're the Bruins is that their penalty kill is so good that even if a game turns into a special teams battle, as as long as the penalties are fairly even, you still like the Bruins chances of at least breaking even and, and not giving up, you know, two, three power play goals in a game. They did give up one yesterday, but, you know, to the Rangers' second unit, they shut down the top unit with all that talent out there and, in fact, score a shorthanded goal when uh, Coyle and Nosek just straight up outworked uh, some of the Rangers' star players, kind of got them in deep, forced a turnover. Nosek beats Kane going to the front of the net. I don't think Patrick Kane did not look like someone who wanted to be playing defense in that situation. And, uh, you know, so that's that's a silver lining is you don't feel like, even with the power play only being 10%, you don't feel like the Bruins are going to lose too many special teams battles. But, yes, you you would rather have the power play going than not, even though we all know they won in 2011 with a terrible power play that first season. But that's not that's not really a recipe you want to try to do. No, the league doesn't work yeah. like that anymore. <laughs> you don't have Zidane Ochara playing 38 minutes on your defense. So it doesn't work like that anymore so let's not use that one I think the um you know I would say and I know we're not really going to have time to touch on all the teams I, I would be concerned more concerned if I'm the New York Rangers power play and the New York Rangers forward group than the Bruins power play I think what we saw yesterday is is not enough pucks on the ice for that group they don't really know how to get Patrick Kane. I don't know how you get Patrick Kane on that first unit comfortably in the next six weeks by the the chemistry that the group before them had three days ago that Rangers power play was the most deadly thing in the league last year in the playoffs that's what got them to the conference finals along with Shesterkin which Shesterkin wasn't even that good in the first round if you remember uh it was the power play that was scoring goals non-stop now you put Patrick Kane in there I don't know how they I don't know how it works and, and I'm, I'm not confident in that it does get to be fixed by the time the playoffs come with him on that. They can go back to what it was before, but uh, to keep Kane happy, to have that, it's going to be difficult for the Rangers. So I would be more concerned about the Rangers' power play 
than I am the Bruins because I think the Bruins can figure it out much easier. Let's go to George and Warwick, who has a question about Patrice Bergeron. George, George what do you got? Yeah, hey, thanks, Scott, for taking the call. Yeah, and, no problem. And, uh, a- Andrew, uh, Andrew, I want to take you in the way back machine, if you don't mind, because oh, you've talked about being all in. And all in for the captain, and I think also for Krejci, underrated commitment to come back from overseas. I mean, uh, going back to the 2003-2004 season, Andrew, you were a rookie. Patrice Bergeron was a rookie. Who We did not know that a year later they had decided or would decide to trade Joe Thornton. Looking back, I wonder whether there was something they saw in a young Patrice Bergeron that gave them a bit more comfort in making that really significant move. Do you recall anything that hinted at what he would become, Andrew, or either directly or for how the veterans talked about what they saw in this 18-year-old kid? Yeah, so I don't think that those two are connected in any way. I don't. I, I mean... They should have kept Joe Thornton. That was kind of like a terrible trade and really blew up the organization for like three years. That was kind of the narrative for a while, though. Like People did think that was the choice they were making. Yeah, it was was early for that. It was early for that. I think you see, uh, we all knew the veterans, to your question, the veterans knew Patrice Bergeron as an 18-year-old was a professional kid, a kid who took it very seriously, who saw the game better than most guys already, 10-year veterans did, who was very smart. There was certainly no talk of he's going to win two Stanley Cups, be a captain, play 1,500 games, go to the Hall of Fame, win six Selkies. It wasn't, it wasn't that obvious at that point. It was just that this kid gets it as an 18-year-old kid. We don't have to worry about him. We don't have to teach him a lot about how to – eat and sleep and behave and and carry yourself that was no question he was a he was a great person from day 1 he was a a proud kid from day 1 but to to say they trade you know to say that this was the expectation 15 20 years later i don't think that would be this that's the stretch cuz no one can really see that what he's actually done and and I don't think they, they said we're going to trade Joe Thornton so Patrice can be the captain at that point either. But he was special. He is special. And everything, all the accolades he gets are, are well-deserved. I'll draw actually one more parallel maybe between that team and what we're seeing now because you guys also, the front office made a sign, you know significant moves that year at the deadline, mm-hmm. getting Gonchar and Nylander and was it? Is that it? Was there another one I'm forgetting? But, um, but you know, that was kind of like an, an all-in type move. And, you know, you guys had a really good team, but also pretty young. And a lot of guys who hadn't maybe been there, done that before. This year's Bruins team, a lot of guys who have been, not necessarily been there, done that in terms of winning the cup, but been there, done that in terms of dealing with pressure, making a deep run, kind of knowing what it takes. Like, how much of a difference does that make for them to have that that experience as they come down the stretch here with all the expectations in the world? It makes a huge difference. It, it makes a huge difference. You go back to Tampa Bay in 18, you, there's so much comparison, so much talk to that team. You look at even the Florida Panthers last season, they had a pretty really good run. But the difference for me is completely on – 
the shoulders of Bergeron, Krejci, Marshawn, the way they've talked all season long that they're trying to win every game, but they recognize all the way through that it doesn't matter unless you win the last one. And they know what that takes. They know what it's like to be down 3-2 in a series on the road, down a goal early in the game, and how to fight through it. They know what it's like to be stopped have a goalie stop and 55 shots on a night you should win and go down a series one nothing or 2-1 and, and how to fight through it on a daily basis. So I, I don't think that can be understated how important the experience is to deal with the next 20 games on top of what they have to deal with come come the Stanley Cup playoffs. So they're, they're completely prepared to be down a series 0-2 and fight their way back into it. They have that ability to do it. They have the mindset, and they understand what it will take. Looking at trade deadline day on Friday wound up being a pretty quiet day across the league, but obviously a lot of teams had done an awful lot before that. So kind of taking stock of, of the Eastern Conference, you know, I feel like Bruins still clearly the favorites, made the moves they had to make to get better and then to even address the injuries to Hall and Felino by getting Bertuzzi. Rangers make the flashiest moves with Kane and Tarasenko. New Jersey makes a great move to get Timo Meyer. You know, the, talking about like unproven hasn't really been there. That's that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hurricanes, kind of quiet. Shane Gostaspear, uh, Jesse Pugliarvi, Leafs did a lot, obviously. O'Reilly, Achari, Lafferty up front, Jake McCabe, Luke Shen on defense. Uh, and O'Reilly got banged up Saturday night. I, I don't think there's been a report about like how serious that might be or what kind of time he might miss. Tampa didn't do a ton. Their one big move was Tanner Janot, who's you know bottom six four that they gave up a lot for. So just kind of going around stacking up what the conference looks like. Who do you see as, as the Bruins biggest threats? Well, so I, I look at it kind of, I back into it a little bit more in that Toronto and Tampa, whoever that is, is going to be the biggest threat. And, and I say that because it's the second round. They should, even though that team, that that series should go seven games and should be a war. It it's, they're still going to whatever team wins is going to be relatively fresh still. And, and that's going to be the first real test. I believe you look at the other side with the Metro Carolina, New Jersey, the Rangers to have to go two series in and think that that is more of a threat than that second round. I think that that's where I get hung up because who knows who it is. Uh, everybody's counting New Jersey out. They might have made the best move of those three by getting just Timo Meyer yeah. and, and solidifying themselves. The Rangers, maybe too many guys they got. Carolina, not enough guys. Maybe they didn't make enough of a push. And if New Jersey's goaltending, they're going to have home ice in the first round. Rangers, everyone's counted the Rangers through the second round. All right. New Jersey's going to have home ice handily. And if their goaltending holds up, if Vanacek finds any way to keep playing the same way he is right now, and he starts feeling good about himself with a few wins. Don't forget, he did start the playoffs for the Washington Capitals a couple seasons ago. He blew his hammy on the first goal that Jake DeBrus scored in the series and was out. But he has prepared himself for a Stanley Cup final before. So he has that feeling and what it is and seen it uphand, close hand. I, 
I, I'm not sleeping on New Jersey. But but for me, again, the biggest threat is whoever gets out of the Toronto-Tampa series, what that punch feels like in the second round after playing a wildcard team, how the Bruins respond to the pressure of going to Toronto on a daily basis or the pressure of playing the team that's gone to the finals three years in a row and that that ultimate experience steel battle. Yeah, and especially because the mindset that either of those teams are going to be in coming off a first-round win over the other. Like, if you're Toronto, you finally got that monkey off your back, and I don't think that's a team that's going to be like, we won a round, mission accomplished. No, they're going to be like, we won a round, time to go. Like, now, like, we don't have to deal with that anymore. Time to make our run. Yeah, they're on house money when yeah. they win that round. Look out. Yeah. Ta- and Tampa, if they win, then it's forget all the questions about whether they did enough. It's, look, we just beat the team that did a ton to try to beat us. And we're back, and this conference still runs through us. Uh, one more segment coming up here on Sunday Skate. Again, you can still join us. 617-779-7937. Text us, 37937. We'll get to the Pasenak extension because we've barely touched on that. And, <laughs> hey, that was uh, pretty big news. So uh, we'll get to that next. Now, more of the guys. Scott McLaughlin and Andrew Razor Raycroft. It's Sunday Skate on WEEI. Yeah, I mean, it's huge, you know, uh, uh, this is the guys I, uh, you know, grew up with pretty much uh, my NHL career and, and I've been learning from them every day and, and you know, uh, it's amazing uh, accomplishment to, to play your career in one, one team and that's definitely uh, what was stuck in my head, you know, uh, um, going into this uh, negotiation. So, um, I'm, you know, honored and, and uh, happy that, that uh, you know, I'm staying here and, and I can wait to get to work. That is David Pasternak talking about his new eight-year, $90 million extension, the richest contract in Bruins history, uh, $11.25 million a year, backed by, uh, that's the uh, what's becoming, I think, the, theme, the team theme song. Oh, that's great. Who's a title I won't attempt to say, but... No, you can't. There's no way. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Scott made me play that, by the way. It wasn't my choice. Oh, it's great. We, we all assumed it. that was a Czech song that David Krejci brought back. It's actually a Croatian song. Um, but Pasnik has said he actually does understand some of the words. So, anyways. Uh, yeah, so the his extension finally gets done. We all thought it was going to. You know, you wonder exactly what the final number is going to be. I think it's safe to say it's more than the Bruins were initially hoping and also a little less than he probably would have gotten on the open market. Now, the question is, you know, would he have gotten it from a team he was actually willing to sign with? We don't know. Either way, the Bruins had to get it done, even if, you know, they didn't want to go quite that high. And, yeah, probably changes one or two things as far as their offseason planning and, you know, who they're able to keep, who they're able to sign, all that. But... There was no scenario where letting Pasenak get to the open market was the course of action. There was no way that him leaving was ever going to be anything but bad for this team's future. So they had to get it done, and they sign him to the – he'll be the sixth-highest-paid player in the NHL next season, and and he deserves to be. Look at the season he's having. Like, that, he's in his prime – that's what it costs to have an elite score in today's NHL, and he is certainly that. Exactly. All of that exactly. Uh, you can't 
you can't worry. It, who cares about what the number is? It was just all about getting him signed. And, and we bantered back and forth what the number was going to be, but it was only to make sure that the Bruins paid him to, to stay. Whether it was the deal that the team wanted, which I would assume when, when you asked them a year and a half ago, you're looking at the Charlie McAvoy cap, and you're hoping you get both of those guys at nine and a half. So you pay the guy you know, just under $2 million more for eight years. I, it's not going to be a problem. You can find $1.75 million from your absolute bottom line more to get him signed. And, and of course... It was no question it was going to be over $10 million and and we all thought maybe eight, 8 at 88, 8 at 80. You pay a couple million dollars more for that over eight years, you're, you should be feel pretty good about that as Bruins fans and related to the cap. If that's what you're worried about, uh, then, then with the number, then it'll be okay. They're going to find a way to do it. David's not going to be overpaid at any point in this contract. He He needed to get signed here, and now... Now you can really have a path looking forward on how good this team can stay. And, and it probably won't stay historic. I don't think we'll ever see what we're seeing right now again. But what they have, what kind of roster they have for the next two, three, four years is, is something that fortunately for Bruins fans, we're not going to see a drop off like an Ottawa, like a Detroit. This is going to last going into the future. Yeah, so you have... Now, Pasternak for eight more years after this. McAvoy and Lindholm for seven more after this. They're in the first year of eight-year deals. Still a few years of Brad Marchand. A couple more years of Taylor Hall after this. The goaltending situation is under team control. Two more years for Linus Ulmark after this. Jeremy Swayman's a restricted free agent. You know, he'll he'll get a raise for sure, but it's not. I would be surprised if it's like a crazy top-of-the-line type deal. Uh yeah, that alone keeps you in the play at the very least in the playoff conversation and you know winning games having a winning record. And if you can you know hit up, if Bergeron comes back next year, then you're a contender again. If he doesn't if him and Krejci both retire, yeah, then you have work to do. You've got to find your number 1 center somewhere and that's not going to be easy, but you know, that's all this is obviously problems looking for ahead to the off season. They won't have the same depth that they have this year. That's obvious because you just can't afford to pay everyone, mm-hmm. but they, yeah, the, the core of this team going forward though is a really good start and gives you the confidence that like, there's not going to be an extended rebuild there. There shouldn't be at least there shouldn't be a tear down where now you're trying to trade some of these guys off. Like, no, you you start with this, a really solid foundation, and you build from there. And yeah, it's probably not going to be historic. You're probably not going to have, you know, a Taylor Hall in the third line. Like, you, you know, you're not going to be able to re-sign all three guys that you just traded for, but you have enough there. And locking up Pasternak was such a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. And Razor, just before we go, because we don't have that much time, how would you rate this deadline for Don Sweeney now that it's all over, now that he's added those guys, and um, even if you want to consider the Posnock extension in this week as well, how's, how do you grade his deadline? There's no way this week could have went any better for Don Sweeney. It, it, other, th- other than the Felino Hall injuries, 
and but and getting Bertuzzi because in despite that, I don't think that would have happened. So it, it could not have been better. You we see what Orlov is. We talked about him already. A guy who plays twenty four minutes on a Stanley Cup winning hockey team. Hathaway's a perfect fit for this fourth line. Bertuzzi's now a perfect fit for the third line, the fourth line when everyone's healthy, where the second line for that matter, if there is injuries. The, he he nailed it. He did everything the players wanted. He put everything on the players that, that they could possibly need to go on a run now. And, and then, of course, to get Pasternak signed before the playoffs so this doesn't become a talking point at any point for anybody going forward. It was a special week for Don. He, he, he absolutely nailed it like he has the last few trade deadlines. Yeah, it was, it was probably his best week as GM, honestly. Like, starting with the Orloff-Hathaway trades and running through the Pasenak extension and the Bertuzzi trade, like... That's, you know, a seven, eight day stretch that has to be the best that he's had. Uh, we're out of time for this week. Uh, we got Andy Hart and Mark Dondero coming up. Plenty for them to talk about. We'll be back next week, 10 to 11 a.m., uh, covering the Bruins stretch run now that uh, we're past the deadline. The Red Sox Station. <laughs> New England Sports Original.